Good morning, good news. If you can stand with me as we read the word this morning, we'll be reading Luke 10, verses 1 through 24. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like the lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide. For the laborers deserve to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But at the judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, Jesus said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your words, and I thank you that you speak, and I pray that today our ears and our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Thank you, Melissa. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Just a couple more days to college football starts. Just want you guys to give a shout out to the reigning national champions, Alabama Crimson Tide. Now I'm ready. That felt good. Uh, we did, uh, you know, we were talking about um, faithful giving at, at Good News, and you guys are faithful giving. What I love because of our internship is faithful eaters. 
that you ate all the spaghetti that we served and we raised, I think it's up to about $1,500 now. So thank you guys for doing that. Keep eating. Turn to somebody and say, you know, you like to eat. Um, so today's message, um, normally we try to do uh, exegetical style. We try to go line by line and kind of unpack and give historical narrative and things like that for 24 verses. That's uh, uh, unless you want to sit here all day, uh, which I assume you don't. Um, we're not going to do that. So I'm going to give you an overview of the verses and, and kind of and not be able to hit everything. And then I'm going to pull out three things that are really important to me. Maybe they're more implicitly read than explicitly read. And so I'm going to, to that's the, the route I'm going to go. So Luke 10 is really about empowering people, multiplying and empowering people. But in order for us to kick this off correctly, first of all, Terry Brown did an amazing job last week, didn't he? I love his heart, love his passion. But in order for us to do this correctly, we have to go back to Luke 9. Um, there are three people that walk up to Jesus. He is about, you know, he's doing his ministry and three people say, I want to be a part of it. One of them says, Hey, I want to go with you. And he said, you know, birds have nests and and foxes have dens, but I have nowhere to lay my head. He is a a preacher who travels all over the place. So he is not going to be in one place for long. And that was an excuse that, that this man was, was using. And then secondly, another guy comes up and says, um, uh, I want to go with you. But I have to bury my father. The issue is that in that culture, uh, they had to wait until their father had died. And so Jesus called him out and said, listen, let the dead bury their own dead. We need to be about the kingdom. Then there was a third person who walked up and he he said, "Um, let me go back and tell my family before I go. And he uses this illustration. He said, a person who's working on a plow doesn't look back. Because what happens when you work, you know, you're, you're supposed to be moving forward and you look back. Okay, hold on. How many bad drivers do we have that are not paying attention to the road? What happens? You move into somebody, you're probably moving into my lane. Do you know, do you know that there was a publication that just came out that said Omaha has the worst drivers? I've been talking about it for years. I knew it. I don't know how they arrived at that conclusion, but what, what happens if you, if you take your eye off, then, and he's really speaking about Elisha. Elisha was a prophet, and when it was time for Elisha to follow Elisha, he burned, he killed the, the oxen, he, he uh, burned the, the equipment, he fed everybody, but that was his way of saying, the past is over and we're moving forward. And in the kingdom... We have to move forward. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, these excuses, I understand where they're coming from, but you've got to make a decision to move forward. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to go line by line on a couple of things and give you an overview. And then we're going to get to three points. So in verse one, Jesus is talking about, he's talking to the 70 and he's getting them ready to go out. And verse one is really about go. God sends out 70 disciples to prepare the way for him. And I love this because originally he called 12, right? Representing probably the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. Now there are 70 that he's sending out. That's called multiplication, people. Isn't that awesome? God is a God of multiplication. And he's, he's sending them out. And I love how he does it. He sends it in, in, in pairs. 
This is, this is important because so many people, you're trying to do stuff on your own and there's such power in being together. You guys know the cliche, better together, right? Well, there's probably some truth to that, that we are better together. There's power in that. Verse two, he says to pray, pray earnestly that the, the, the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. And usually what we do is we tend to form committees. You know, we should probably go out, but let's wait until we get enough people or let's pray until the right time. And he's going, listen, go out now. Pray that as you're going, I'll send people to to join you. And Jeannie Johnson is a great example of this. She went down and started feeding people uh, that that she recognized that, that needed food. And she goes down every Wednesday and she spends hundreds of dollars of her own money, right? And feeding two and 300 people when now other churches and, and our church and people are partnering with her to meet this need. God sends laborers, but don't wait. Be about it. And then he, in, in verse three, he, he says, watch out. And first he goes, go on your way. And this is really important because I think sometimes we want this blueprint of exactly what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to share our faith, how we're supposed to walk it out. And he says, listen, I've given you my word. I've given you my authority. Go live it. Go share it. And it's going to be unique to who you are. Right. So the way I may do it may not look like the way you do it. Just go do it. And then he gives this warning. And he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Say what? (laughs) Don't you mean lions among wolves? Don't you mean, you know, all the guys are bowing up and stuff? I would have been the guy going, what did he say? That doesn't sound good. But he's going, listen, I'm sending you out into a culture that may not receive your word, may not receive your message, may not like you. It sounds a lot like possibly today. Right? Everybody's not going to accept what you believe in, what, what you stand for. And then he, he begins to give them instructions. He begins to say, listen, Pastor Raphael, don't take your purse out. Don't take an extra purse. Take your bag, take your sandal, you know, take one thing and that's all you need. I thought of you immediately when I read that in that scripture verse. And don't get distracted on the roads. Go directly into the city, you know, cause you're, it, you know how it is. You can, you can, you can run in and get distracted, but it's about going into the city, the place where the, where these five cities need to hear the gospel. Verses five and six, he goes, extend peace. When you get to a place and, and, and you share and, and they welcome you in your peace will remain. And if they don't, don't worry about it, right? Don't try to knock on the door. Don't try to force yourself in. Listen, people are are most open when they extend you an invitation. I'm not saying there's not a place for evangelism where you go stand on on the corner. I'm not saying there's not a place. There's many different ways that you can evangelize. But in your workplace, in your home, the way you live, there's opportunities if you'll listen. Because there are broken people everywhere. And a lot of times, somebody in pain or somebody in distress gives us clues and we're not paying attention. And those are invitations. Then he says, verse 7, he says, stay in the place of hospitality. If somebody invites you into the home, go in. And don't look now to after you've eaten and you spend a little time to go somewhere else. Stay there. And, And 
this is a, a hard concept, I think, for Americans. I'm not great at community. A lot of us Americans are not great at community, right? But in that culture, when somebody offered you hospitality, you, you, you took them up on it, and then you spent time with them. You, you set a table and you eat, How many great things have been shared because you had the time to sit down and eat and have a conversation? No drive-by preaching. Just go in and spend time with people. And then he he says this. He says, not everybody's going to accept it. So when you come to a place that um, doesn't receive the gospel or doesn't receive the message, doesn't receive you, knock, take your shoes, knock the dust off, and, and go about your business. And can I be honest with you? I don't need you Christians to take your shoes off at work and knock them together. They probably stink and you know that. The second thing is I'm tired of Christians looking weird. So you're outside doing this and they're going, yeah, that's a Christian. All he's saying is, listen, there, it, it was saying that you've done your part. Wash your hands and leave it up to God. Okay. Then he goes into the woes. And basically, he's talking about these five cities that they're going to visit. And uh, let me explain what a woe is, though, first. It's a condition of deep suffering from misfortune, affliction, or grief. Ruinous trouble, calamity, or affliction. Cities where the message is being preached and the miraculous is happening... If they're refusing to believe when there is a visible picture of this kingdom in power coming, they're probably not going to receive the message of a spiritual kingdom. So they're going out and they're not receiving the message. And he's going, judgment's going to come because you've had your opportunity. Then they go into celebration. And I love this. You're going to hear me say, I love this a lot. But I am, I am, I love celebration. And I love a God that celebrates. And so the disciples come back. And can you imagine this new kingdom, this new doctrine, this new message has authority. So when they show up, demons are manifesting. Anybody ever been uh, seen a demon manifest? If you haven't, when you do, you won't forget it. What happens to a person's face and their countenance and their strength and all kind of stuff. And they're seeing demons manifest. And now the kingdom of God is casting them out. It's power. It's not just talk. There's authority in this. And they come back and they are fired up like you and I would be too. And he's saying, hey, I love it. But I was there when Satan was cast out of heaven like a lightning bolt. Like that. Not even close in power. The kingdom that you are part of. The kingdom that you now have access to. There's not even a close correlation in power and strength. And he said, I was there and I saw it happen. My authority gives you power over the enemy and evil. And they're just beginning to see this begin This promise of the new kingdom. But he goes, listen, don't get it twisted. Don't get it messed up. Listen, I love the stuff, right? I love when people get healed and all of that. But ultimately, what it's about is that your name is written in heaven. And sometimes uh, we Pentecostals, we want the stuff. 
But we want the stuff to result in salvation. We are God's inheritance. The stuff is a tool we use to bring the kingdom so that people can see his majesty and and his heart. So then there's this moment that Jesus celebrates with God, right? It says that he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. So there's this moment with the Holy Spirit, with this unction on the inside of him. And he is talking to the Father. Thank you that you would do this. Thank you that you would give them access, that you would share your kingdom with these disciples. And there's this moment of God who is celebrating together. And then, of course, Jesus celebrates with his own disciples, saying, you get to have this role. You get to have this part in the unfolding of my kingdom. So there's three things. And hopefully, everybody pray really hard. We can end early today. Um, I am a pastor, and you can't really trust a pastor when he's talking. But that is the goal, that we end early. So the first thought is multiplication. I love that God is a God of multiplication. I do. I love the fact that if you look through scripture, there are principles, there are patterns, there are things that God has from the very beginning when he created seed time and harvest. What happens when you plant a seed in the ground? It produces a harvest and that harvest is always more than the seed that you planted, right? There's a seed time and harvest to sin, Sometimes the results of of our sin bring things that we didn't think would happen. And it was always more. God is a God of multiplication. So um, we see in when Jesus does the the feeding of the 5,000, he asks, what do you have? Bring it to me. He blesses it and multiplies it. Okay, so we always think of stuff like that. But can I tell you the essence of the gospel is that he takes your life. And he multiplies it. He takes the trial and the tragedy and the frustration. And he takes the stuff that you've overcome with his help. And he he takes the message that's in you. And he says, take it and I'll multiply it. So if you've gone through something difficult, God says, I want to bring uh, healing to that. I want to help you overcome that. I want to help you walk through that. But give it away. What you're learning, what you're discovering, what you're finding out, give it away. So when you walk into your office or you walk home or you show up in your house and you're going, I don't know what to do. God says you don't have to do anything but be you and give it away. What you're discovering about me is the greatest um, secondary effect of the gospel. So here's the thing. I may make some people mad. I'm getting away from my notes, but I'm going to make some people mad. Listen, I don't mind um, people who who stand on the street corner and tell people about Jesus. I don't. But I like when somebody comes up to me and they share their heart and they, they get into my life and they show how God has impacted them as I'm going through the same thing. I'm not, there, there's, there, there's a place at the table for every type of evangelism, but your greatest tool probably is going to be what you know about him, what he has done for you, what you're discovering and, and giving it away. And people all, listen, people at your job, people in your family, the people that, that bug you probably the most are the very people that God's calling you to. And if we'll just listen. 
man, I'm having a terrible day. My husband is an idiot. I'm sure that's almost universal. Then this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to go, really? Tell me, tell me what's going on. What's going on? How you doing? What's going on in your life? And this is where you begin to go. Let me tell you, I walked through the same thing. I want to, I want to tell you about Jesus. I'll tell you what I've learned. Give what you have and share what you know. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have everything correct. You don't have to to have memorized all these books. Just start where you are with what you have and give away what you have. Okay? Look for anything that God has done in your life and ask God to multiply it. That's it. Keep it really, really simple. If you've experienced healing... Pray for people for healing. If you've experienced forgiveness, tell people about God's forgiveness. If you've experienced love, tell people about God's love. If you've experienced a change in identity, man, tell people what God has done in your life. Number two, community. The mission of God is affected by the community of God. The mission of God is affected by the community of God. Um, in, you know, in Western culture, um, especially in America, because we were, we were born in independence, right? We, we like our houses to be separate. We like our fences. We like to wave, but I don't want you on my property. Um, you know, I, if somebody shows up at my house looking for dinner, I'm going to tell them, you can go find dinner at the drive-thru, bro. You're not coming into my house. I don't know you. Right? I know some of you, but I don't know you well. Most of you don't know me well. I mean, when Chris and I got married, we were taught in ministry, you create clear boundaries. And you keep people out. Well, how many know after years and years and years of keeping people out, that's not good for your heart. That's not good for your life. There's tons of people in here that you know you're struggling with something. And you begin looking around and there's a tension between, do I share with somebody what's going on in my life? What will they think? Will they reject me? Are they going to abandon me? Are they going to be disappointed in me? And so you just internally die. Because God created community as the place where you live your life. How many times have uh, Americans, I'm speaking to Americans... And I hope our internationals have not been negatively impacted by our behavior. How many times have you walked through the halls and said, hey, how you doing? I kept on walking. Hey, how you doing? Doing all right? Good. I do it all the time. Because I don't really want to know how you're doing. But I want to ask you how you're doing. sometimes I think people just want to go, you really want to know? Because I want you to know. I found another thing too, another dynamic, and we've talked about it, you know, if it wasn't for um, Pastor Walt and Carrie and the way they've actually created kind of this family atmosphere on our team. Um, very few times ever do people walk up to me and go, hey, Jason, how are you doing? Ever. I know as a pastor, I've always got my pastor hat on. 
And I'm sure spouses, we do the same thing to our spouses. We don't really ask them. There are people around you that need access. They need access to you and you need to give them access as well. You need to give them the right or to speak into your life, to, to share what's going on. And so let's get back just for a moment. When you look at this set of scripture verses, you see, and I think Morgan and Drew, they, I, and I'm, when I saw you, I wanted to say this, they do a great job of community. Here's the thing though, community's not free. So when they host something, give them some money to pay for all the stuff you're eating. <laughs> Holy cow. They're going to have to get another job. So you see that there are, um, the disciples are in community with Jesus. God is in community with himself, but he's also in community with these disciples. And then he goes, listen, I want you to go out and share the message, but I want you to be in community as a, I don't want to say a couple, that sounds weird, but uh, as two people, a partnership. What happens when you're in community with somebody? You build a bond. How many know that when you're on mission, you build a bond? There's a closeness, a relationship. You go through something, there's a bond. He, they, they go into the city. Why? Because Jesus is trying to invite them into this community. Community is so powerful. Jesus wants to bring a broken world into community. If you look at the entirety of scripture, God wants to bring people together and to him. I love this idea that God is wanting to bring people into community. Psalm 68, six tells us God places the lonely in families. The word rendered families would be more literally and better translated as in houses. The idea then is not that he constitutes families of those who are solitary and alone, but that to those who are alone in the world, who seem to have no friends. Think about our international people who move over. How alone that must be to step foot in a new nation, new people, new language. Who are destitute, wretched, forsaken. He gives comfortable dwellings. Thus the idea is carried out, which is expressed in the previous verse. God is the friend of the orphan and the widow. And in like manner, he is the friend of the cast out, the wandering, the homeless. He provides for them a home, a community. Don't you want to be part of a real and authentic community? I love the fact that we come and we set our backsides in a pew. But don't you want something real? Every person wants to know and be known. Jesus doesn't want them to just have a physical family, but a spiritual family, an eternal family. People want authentic relationships. My question is, are you really in community? Do people really know you? Do people really know what's going on in your heart and life? Do you give people access? Are you really willing to share what's going on inside? Because it's easy to fake it, y'all. But I'm going to tell you, if you fake it, it's, it's a form of poverty. Because at the end of our life, we're going to remember the people that we shared life with more than the things that we did. 
That's what we're going to take to our grave. How did I love and how did I allow people to love me? I love that um, that God cares so much about people and He wants to bring them in. I remember when I uh, I grew up in a family that didn't didn't do relationships very well. Um, I I my dad had brothers that I never met. Um, my uh, I, I don't I don't have a big family, so we're not really really close. I remember there was an uh, an instance where. We lived next door to a family, and he was an alcoholic boxer. And uh, they, we all went to the same church. And I remember um, one day, one night, the next-door neighbor, she ran over to our house, and she was crying. And my mom, you know, shooed me out of the, the kitchen. And that night or the next day, she said, you can't go over to your friend's house right now. And so I remember telling my friend and my friend telling his mom. And I remember when she heard that she took my friend's hand and they turned and they walked off and the families didn't speak for a while. And I thought this was so ironic. Here we are, we're going to church one Sunday morning and they're over there and I'm right here. And I, I just said, Hey Shannon, how you doing? And I got in the car and my mom was furious. You don't talk to them. Right? Broken community. And I feel like a lot of people, there's, maybe there's been nothing outright, but many of you guys live like that. You're in the same neighborhood. You share a pew, but there's broken community. And God wants to bring health and healing so that you have community. Lastly, God celebrates Probably my favorite point in all of this is that we serve a God who celebrates. We serve a God who loves what is happening in his church. That he loves what is happening in your life. Imperfect as you are, he loves what is, what is taking place in your life. He loves who you're becoming. There's this moment, you know, disciples come back and he, he, says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then there's that moment where he is rejoicing with his father through the Holy Spirit. And this is what that word rejoice means. Rejoice is too weak a word. It is exalted in spirit, evidently giving visible expression to his unusual emotions. While at the same time, the words in spirit are meant to convey to the reader the depth of him. He is celebrating at the core of who he is, what is taking place now. What has been preordained before the foundations of the world is now happening. The new kingdom being, is being ushered in and he's getting to do it with his creation. That's pretty cool. And it's still happening. That's why it wasn't just for that moment. He's still going, come on, church. I'm loving what is taking place. What do we tend to do? We tend to look at everything that is wrong and God's going, but you don't see what I see. You don't see who you're becoming. You don't see the effect that's taking place. Have you ever thought about the idea that God celebrates you? celebrates who you're becoming 
celebrates the life you're trying to live. Listen, everybody in this room has issues and troubles. And if we begin to stack those up and that's all that we see, we're kind of missing the point. God celebrates who you are becoming. Jesus and his disciples are in partnership. When people share with me what is taking place in their life, I don't pick them apart. I don't tell them all the things that they could do better. I celebrate with them. And I tell them, I love it. I love what God is doing. I love what God is doing in your life. That's just a picture of God. I'm going to ask the band to come up. My question is, do you believe that God celebrates you? Really? Do you believe that he celebrates the person that he created? Now, it's an interesting question, and I'll tell you why. Because if you believe that, you'll live that. And if you don't, you live that too. Many of you are still serving an angry, disappointed, frustrated, frustrated and distant God. And I'm just telling you, God is better than that. He'll never give up on you. He's not finished with you. We all have changes that, that he's going to make in our life. But I'm just telling you, just like a, an infant, we don't get disappointed because they're not walking. We know there's a process. Your view of God will determine how you live for God. Takeaways. Take what you have and give it away every day. I don't care if in your mind it's only something simple or small, one or two things. Just every day, give it away. Short-term mission, a day at a time. There are new mercies every day, church. Every day. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe if you, you come up to me, if you need a new mercy every day, I don't know, maybe I'll Facebook you and just go new mercies every day. I'll send you something in the mail, new mercies every day. I'll send it to you for a month. If that's what you need to remind yourself that you're getting new mercies every day you wake up because God is so good toward you, so gracious toward you. Are you in a church or are you in a community? Because you can sit here for year after year and nobody has access and you don't really have relationship with anybody. And lastly, do you know the God who celebrates? And are you sharing in God's celebration with the world around you? Our belief about God defines everything about our Christian walk. Christian walk is difficult. Make no mistakes about it. Life is hard and the Christian walk can be difficult. But man, we serve a God that celebrates with us and over us. The Bible said he sings over us. The Bible says that when he made us, he made us a little lower than the angels and he crowned us with glory and honor. Religious people, quit trying to kill that. Quit trying to point out everything that's wrong and telling us that we're, we're the dirt of the earth. I know we're made from the dust of the earth, but we have the spirit of God inside of us made in the image of God. He values us. I know there are people in this room 
And one of those three things, you know, a lot of times people are alone, surrounded by people and alone. There are people that you really honestly believe you have nothing to offer. You don't know what to give to God. And there are people here that um, you really struggle with the idea and the concept that God loves you and is for you and celebrates you. But he does. He's more for you than you could ever imagine. And he's a personal, relationship-driven God. Not a task. God, he is a relationship-driven God. I'm going to ask you to stand. There's no big altar call today. If you feel like you need to pray with somebody, if you feel like you need to come down and and pray by yourself, you're more than welcome to do that. But I'm asking you to, to, to honestly look at your life. Give your life away. Be honest. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your friend. Go to a small group and just go, guys, here's where I'm at. I don't know how to do community well. I want you to go be alone with God and God, God, do you celebrate me? We can't celebrate until we know. We can't celebrate God until we know that he celebrates us. That makes sense? Father, I pray for every person in this room that this message would be more than a message. That these truths, God, would impact hearts and lives. God, that you would help us to walk this out. We need you. We can't make these decisions apart from you. We don't need more information. We need revelation, God. Speak to our heart, God. In the world around us, they desperately need Christians who walk this out, who believe it with them. They're willing to lay down their life for what you say and for who they know. I pray for the broken. I pray for the the bleeding I pray for those that are in need. I pray for those, God, who want desperately to know you. God, I pray that you would meet them. We love you and we're thankful for you. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. going to ask for our prayer workers to come forward. If you don't know Christ, we would love to. I'd love to, to pray with you, talk to you, and introduce you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Love you guys. Have a great day.